Our Bible reading this evening is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, commencing to read at verse 36 through 50 to the end of the chapter. Let us hear the Word of God as it is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, commencing to read at verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but this, but she has poured out perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I trust that God will read or bless the reading of his word to us here this evening. The story, the story we have just read from the scriptures this evening, it is a hard story. It is a confronting story. It is a deeply searching story. It is a meeting between Jesus and two unsavory people from different perspectives. Simon a Pharisee and a woman who is generally understood to be a woman of the streets, a woman of the city, she is generally understood to be a prostitute. We have much to learn in this story about stunning love for Jesus 
by an immoral woman and the stunning lack of it from a religious Pharisee. The prostitute is at the bottom of the respectable and religious pile, while the Pharisee is at the top. He is morally upright. He is religiously orthodox. He is devout. He knows his Bible. He has learned scripture passages. He is held in high regard by church and community. And Simon the Pharisee, he asks Jesus along to his home for a meal. And as a guest rabbi, Jesus coming along as a guest rabbi, he would have been expected to talk like an after-eight speaker, a dinner speaker. He would have been expected to speak on some important religious theme with debate following. But what is telling also in this meeting between Jesus and the Pharisee is how Simon avoids every customary greeting that would show Jesus was a welcome guest in his home. There was no traditional kiss of friendship, no washing his feet, no anointing his head with oil. Simon refused these customary greetings because he had his own agenda for Jesus. He wanted to suss Jesus out, see if he lived up to the expectation that he was indeed a true prophet sent from God. Most of the guests would have clearly seen that Jesus had been insulted by Simon. And so a lively exchange was expected to follow. What they were not expecting... was for a prostitute to come in and sit at the feet of Jesus. This woman must have heard Jesus preach somewhere or she must have heard about him or she may even have spoken to him at some point but whatever the encounter occurred or whenever it occurred it left a profoundly deep mark in her life. And it made Jesus so utterly compelling and attractive to her. He was one who loved sinners and outcasts. Just hearing the good news of God's peace and forgiveness was enough to create a hunger and a thirst in this woman, this immoral woman, to meet this lover of sinners who forgives. This woman came with a great need for a great saviour. And so the woman enters Simon's house uninvited, although at such a gathering and such a place, there would have been a place allocated for uninvited outsiders so that they could listen and learn from all the stimulating conversation that was going on from the debates from the inner, inner guests. But they were not allowed to engage in any ensuing debate. Now the immoral woman, she comes along as this uninvited guest. She breaks all protocol and sits at the feet of Jesus. She brings a bottle of special oil along with her to be part of her worship of him who loves sinners. Some writers believe that this oil was like a perfume that was used as a tool of her trade to woe and attract men to her. She kneels before Jesus 
and she weeps. Tears run down her face, washing the dust and the dirt off the Savior's feet. She lets her hair down in public, an act that was unacceptable in this culture because a woman should only let her hair down in the privacy of her own husband. Next, she dries Jesus' feet with her hair. She kisses them, and then she takes this little flask of ointment or oil or perfume and pours it on the feet of Jesus. This final act of worship completes the expression of a woman pouring her life out at the feet of Jesus. This woman had lived with rejection. She had lived with abuse. She had lived with the guilt of living as an immoral woman. And now she bows before Jesus in an act of worship, worshiping repentance. She finds her shame and her guilt before Jesus is dealt with. Her sins are forgiven. She feels clean and pure and the burden is lifted and now she stands free and accepted and forgiven and loved by God because of Jesus. This woman wept tears of love and gratitude as she poured out her broken life before Jesus, the one who loves sinners. It's just not tears and hair and kisses and perfume she's pouring out. It's her life. It's everything that she is. She brings it all to Jesus and lays it at his feet. All that she is and has, heart, soul, mind, body, is laid at the feet of Jesus, the lover of sinners. Simon can see absolutely nothing of this was going on with this woman. He simply looks on in disgust at this immoral woman making such a public show of herself in his home. And he is also offended at Jesus for tolerating this action that's going on in his home. This confirms what Simon has been thinking all along about Jesus. Verse 39. This proves that Jesus is no prophet. For if God had really sent him, he would have known what kind of woman this is. He couldn't be from God. If he was, he just would not associate. He would not identify with such a woman. The thought Simon had been harboring was that Jesus was not a prophet. A prophet comes, he speaks the word of God, he looks at Jesus' acceptance of this woman, and he concludes that Jesus simply cannot be a prophet. Because if he were, he wouldn't touch this woman with a barge pole. Simon's religion was that of a cold-hearted moralist. The God he served had nothing to offer this woman but judgment and condemnation. Simon would have Jesus reject her and push her back into the sin and the misery from which she was repenting and seeking forgiveness. Simon was big in morality and judgment, but he was deficient, deeply deficient in love and forgiveness. He could spot a speck of sin in a brother's eye at a hundred paces, but he couldn't see the plank of judgmental sin in his own eye that was blinding him. 
Simon would have, uh, Simon would have Jesus love nice and respectable sinners. But prostitutes, not on. Yet we must notice also that Jesus came to Simon's house. Knowing how Simon and Pharisees viewed him, he came even when there was this lack of cultural courtesies. He came and Jesus knew the distaste the Pharisees had for him and the threat they perceived his teaching to be on their interpretation of the scriptures. Yet Jesus came to Simon's home at his invitation. Jesus calls the Pharisee by name and he shows respect for Simon as a person. Jesus isn't just here to give this Pharisee a piece of his mind with some well-rehearsed biblical truth provided in a parable. Jesus wants to see things differently. He wants Simon to look at things differently from how he is currently understanding all. He wants Simon to see that he needs forgiveness just like the prostitute. He wants Simon to see his needs of forgiveness. And then he will know the joy that this prostitute is experiencing before the one who forgives sins. The whole theme of what was happening here is... Simon is going to have to know that if he is to know anything of the love of this woman for Jesus, it flows from forgiveness. And Simon is going to have to really learn that for himself. And that's what Jesus is now setting about doing. So to dismantle Simon's immorality, trust, and religion, he tells Simon, or he tells a story. Verse 42. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One man owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debt of both. Now Jesus asks, now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, and the answer is telling. I suppose, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. Jesus, in effect, is saying something like this Simon, you are absolutely right. You have got it smack on. This woman loved much. And you loved little. I came as a guest into your home, and you should have supplied water to wash my feet, but you didn't. By contrast, this woman washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you gave me no kiss of greeting, yet this woman has kissed my feet many times and poured expensive perfume on my feet. You brought me into your home, and you insulted me, Simon. But this woman has done everything for me that you didn't do and not what you should have done. 
show Simon? Why did she show so much love and you didn't? Answer verse 44. Her many sins are forgiven. So she has shown much love. But one who is forgiven little shows little love. In mathematical terms, it was the immoral woman who owed 500 denarii. And she was actually 10 times the worse sinner than Simon was who owed only 50. They were both sinners with a debt. Both sinners with a debt they could not pay. The upright good Farsi had the same problem, the exact same problem as the downright bad prostitute. They both incurred a debt they could not pay. The parable points to how they both stood before God. They had a debt they could not pay. They had sinned against the holy God. And what could they offer? What could they offer God to appease his righteous anger? The forest he would offer He would offer his morality. He would offer his relative goodness. Simon compared himself with others and raved at a superior goodness that he offered God for his salvation. Simon had little awareness that he was flawed and broken and rebellious against God. The tragedy of Simon's life was that he could not see his own sin. He was in denial of it and could not see the need of forgiveness and therefore He could not see and love the one who forgives because he had little need of him. Simon, all wrapped up in his self-righteousness, could not see his need for such a savior. But this immoral woman could. By contrast, everything this immoral woman did at the feet of Jesus was an expression of love and gratitude at finding God's forgiveness by faith in one who loves sinners, even Jesus. It wasn't the woman's love that saved her. It was her faith evidenced in love for Jesus. This is why Jesus says, her many sins are forgiven, so she has shown great love. Because she was forgiven much, she loved much. She wasn't forgiven because she loved much. She loved much because she was forgiven. This does not mean, this does not mean that you can only love God deeply if you fall into terrible sin. This is not what the passage of the parable is saying. The issue is not how deeply we fall into sin, but how conscious we are of the sin into which we have fallen and how clearly we see our need for the Savior. This woman came to Jesus as a woman in great, desperate, desperate need 
She was saved by faith, evidence and love. The one who forgives, even Jesus. She delighted and rejoiced in the one who loves sinners and the one who would die on the cross burn sin's guilt and shame. Verse 44 says, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven you. Verse 50 says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It is your faith that saves. When Jesus stood alongside this woman, identifying with her and accepting her and receiving her worship and owning all that she was, he was receiving and owning and accepting this prostitute and forgiving her by taking and absorbing her sin into his own body that he would show in the not-too-distant future, on a cross towards what she was journeying. The sinner experienced what the Pharisee didn't. Forgiveness and peace. Yet I am painfully aware that someone has assessed, and I believe rightly, the following comment. The Pharisee is alive and well. He is with us and he is in us. I think it was D.L. Moody who once said, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than anybody else I know. I think under Martin Lloyd-Jones, I discovered the Pharisee within the Pharisee within is still one of the primary reasons why many Christians show so little love for Christ. Like Simon, they do not see what great sinners they are because they fall into a false reliance upon their own level of goodness and their own level of good performance. And so they do not drink deeply from the fount of God's forgiveness and taste the deep joy and the sweetness of Christ, the one who forgives Those whose love for Jesus has run cold and dull from unflamed hearts must come to this text often and they must drink deeply from it. The depth of our passion and love for Christ depends on how deeply we see our personal guilt of sin and how deeply we bathe in the sea of God's forgetfulness, his love, his grace, and his mercy. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of who I am a chief. Actually, this translation I'm reading says, of who I am the worst. The more Paul walked with Jesus and delighted in Jesus, the more he became sensitive to his own sin and the more he bathed in God's all-sufficient grace to forgive and keep and love. The immoral woman saw herself as a sinner in need of a savior. And while Simon misjudged God, he misjudged himself also. He thought that being a man of virtue had put him in a position where God did not see his sin as he saw this prostitute's. Have you ever been touched with that? I'm all right, God. Look at so and so did. 
when we grade ourselves before God, how we stand with someone else. For the Pharisee, getting angry, lusting in his heart, being judgmental, telling little white lies and not big black ones. We're definitely not in the same league as the sin of this prostitute. And so he sees little need for God's forgiveness. And therefore he has little love for Jesus, the one who forgives our sins. That little statement, he who has been forgiven much, or he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Listen to it again. He who has been forgiven little, loves little. That speaks profound truth to us. Simon could see no real sin in his life that needed a saviour to forgive him. Therefore, he had little reason to love Jesus. He had little sin to be dealt with. A great sinner needs a great saviour who arouses much love and sees much beauty in the saviour. But a little sinner needs only a a little saviour who arouses a little love and sees little beauty in the one who loves sinners, even Jesus. We will love God to the degree that we recognize the magnitude of our sin and the immensity of the grace of God that forgives us of that sin. When When we live dull dulled to our own sin. We live dulled to the joy of forgiveness and we live dull in our love with Jesus the forgiver. When we as believers drink deeply from the well of God's costly grace, we will love much. We will love without the measuring stick. The measure of forgiving grace will reflect in our love and in our worship of God and in our love and forgiveness that we display to those around us. For sinners such as we are, the fuel and the growth of that love is a profound realization that we are kept every day of our lives by stunning, amazing grace. John Newton lived 1725 to 1807. He wrote that great hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saves a Wretch Like Me. Newton was a vile, slave, a vile sinner. He was a, a, a slave trader. In 1747, he was caught in a storm off the coast of Donegal, and in fear of dying in the storm, he cried out to God to save him. He became an ordained evangelical Anglican minister at the age of 39. He died at the age 
of 82. Not long before his death, Newton declared in a sermon, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner, and that Christ is a great Savior. This is what fuels and grows our love for God. We live from the recognition that we are great sinners and Jesus is a great Savior. Let us pray. Father, Help us, we pray. When we ask that question to ourselves, how can I love Jesus more? Help us to see ourselves and help us to see this great Savior. Help us marvel. Help us fall in love more deeply because we have been forgiven much, then we will love much. We ask us in the Savior's name. Amen.